You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Blame, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. ESPN Rhinelander, I think, showing up tonight. I was trying to think of which one I was supposed to hit, but I think I'm repping ESP, ESPN Rhinelander tonight. Uh, so that that is my uh, ESPN affiliate for the evening. You just heard the voice of Frank Madden, who makes his return tonight. Frank Madden is the founder of BrewHoop.com and my good friend. Frank, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Uh, you, you were just following Mike Budenholz around all day, right? You, you went to the presser <laughs> at noon, and then you went to the Brewers game where you threw out the first pitch. And um, I guess, I guess, yeah, it's the day of Bud in, in Milwaukee. Uh, not Budweiser, Budenholzer, the new, uh, the new Bud in, uh, in Milwaukee. You asked an important question yesterday on Sunday uh, because during my show on ESPN Wisconsin on Sunday mornings, uh, my producer Steve used the term booty as in Budenholzer. Uh, and that was uh, that was popularized by uh, Steve the Homer True at our station because he always talks about uh, Brian Gutekunst, the Packers' new GM, as Goody. That's a nickname that has been popular for him. So he's trying to yeah. get Booty to catch on, and I tell him every time it makes me really uncomfortable, and I'd prefer if we didn't. Um, but just so you know, Booty is what he's trying to to get going here. So uh, you you question the spelling of B U D E Y and what that was supposed to say booty is your answer okay so um so when you guys get him on the phone for a, a spot it's going to be the booty call is what you're saying correct uh okay. we'll we'll be making booty calls if he is uh interested in joining the station but now that i've said booty call i would assume that he's not interested um all right so obviously mike Boonholzer's introductory press conference today and when i first asked you like oh did you get to see it and all that and we talked about it and you know like what are your takeaways and you're like well you know it's a press conference and Yes, I do know it is a press conference, and uh, you know there's there's going to be uh, I think a uh, a certain amount of nothingness said in, in any of those introductory press conferences because that's just kind of to me kind of how all those things go. Like if you're officially in those situations, you're going to find a way to you know say nice things, and but for the most part, you know focus on platitudes and not really saying a whole lot. But I guess where did your head go? Um, when you listened to that and kind of looked at all of the things that uh, that got tweeted out and said and all of that, where was your head at uh, after the Mike Budenholzer introductory <laughs> press conference? Yeah, I think for for background, uh, you know, some of the uh, some insight into how you and I kind of interact on a day to day basis. You you had texted me yesterday um, when I had to unfortunately bail um, because I just had too much stuff to do last night between 
putting babies to sleep and giving babies baths and getting ready to leave for, for a work trip. Um, by the way, my, my mom texted me this morning and asked, are is everything okay with, with, with Kate and Matilda, my, oh, my no. wife and daughter? And I was like, yes, things are fine. And she was like, oh, cause Eric said, I was like, oh, I guess it was a joke that Eric made on the podcast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hadn't even had a chance to listen to it. Oh no. My parents, my parents were listening. So, um, so anyway, mom and dad, thanks for, for your concern. But, uh, <laughs> but we had texted yesterday anyway. Um, and you had asked, you know, were there any kind of, kind of burning questions and, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I was just like, oh, geez, because I mean, we've talked about this off air, obviously. Like, well, what, what do you try to get out of an intro press conference? And yeah. you know, it's kind of hard because it's like, well, you, you kind of obviously want to get first impressions. I mean, what, what you, know, you know that that he's not going to say that he has figured out how the Bucks are going to play defense, or you know, getting into like <laughs> what's your what's your pick and roll coverage going to be and all that stuff. Um, you, you're not going to get that answer necessarily, but um, I thought the just general. You know, there were kind of two 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 points where he really seemed to zoom in on defense, and you know, seemed to when he talked about the high potential and the high ceiling and and the room for improvement um, of the team defensively. I mean, it's something that we've obviously talked about a lot in the context of of you know the Bucks just really falling short of their their potential defensively, um, and i thought that was interesting he referenced that as being something that came up you know during i think the interviews um and and that being just like a big topic for him going forward and um obviously light on really substance about how they're going to go about reaching that potential um you know he did kind of i think at one point talk a bit about um and i forget if that was i don't know if it was even in the press or day maybe it was like one of the side conversations or or something but he did talk specifically i think i may have seen it in the journal sentinel um, he kind of rattled off, you know, different guys being good defenders and, you know, kind of like talent wise, seeing a lot of potential and, and not, you know, not seeing why you, you know, this team can't defend at a high level. Um, now he referenced, you know, Bledsoe and Brogdon who obviously have had some distinct issues at various points defensively as well. Um, but again, I think you could go in with, you know, looking at the talent here defensively and offensively, but defensively certainly. And you say, well, why, why not? You know, Eric Bledsoe challenge, you know, challenge to a guy like that who's got lots of defensive tools. Um, why can't you defend at a high level over 82 games and then <clears throat> in the playoffs as well? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that was I thought interesting, not not a shocker, but also something that we obviously talked about. You know, where's the where is the the most upside in this team? And you know, we've obviously kind of made the statistical case for there being more upside defensively just because they were such a, an underwhelming team defensively the last few years uh, so again I thought oh, that was you know something that stood out I don't know if it was a, a shocker I don't know if I have any killer insight but um, <laughs> I think I think Mike Budenholzer I, I definitely got the impression that Mike Budenholzer believes this team can be a much much better defensive team and that they have the tools and the players to, to be very good and obviously you don't have to sell us on that idea um, but uh, you know actually making it a reality is, is obviously the challenge Well, you know what? Let's listen to that clip right now. And you're right. It was not a part of the press conference. It was uh, a part of our smaller uh, print media and radio scrum uh, that we were able to have with Mike Boonholzer after the press conference. So uh, let's listen to that right now. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you just look at, you know, some of the individuals and if you want to just single out a few of them, um, you know, Giannis, I think what Giannis can do defensively, the uniqueness of him 
it's on that end of the court that, that I just it's I think uh, the potential for him to be um, an elite defender is obvious I think to everybody but especially me you know I think Eric Bledsoe is a point guard with toughness and strength and just uh, you know I think could really set a tone there and Malcolm Brogdon you know both those guys I think are you know really really good defensive point guards and I think Chris is somebody that's growing as a defender and has you know size and length and um, you know I think you know some of the bigs you know whether it's Thon and John and you know however else we fill out the bigs uh, you know I, I just I think you know Tony Snell is a, you know a guy that's kind of been a defender a 3 and D guy um, but I just I really believe in you know I think there's a there's definitely the, the the makings of a very good defensive team and and it starts with Giannis Giannis is you know my expectations of him and you know how I'm going to push him on the defensive end of the court or you know it's where it's going to start and yeah, the so I, I was the one that ended up asking that question because I, I just thought it was so interesting that during the press conference, like you said, there was not a point, I don't believe, and I'm trying to think through that full, those full 25 minutes or so, I don't think there was a point where someone said, why do you think the, the Bucks defense is going to be great? Or like he was specific, specifically asked about the defense. He just kind of threw that out there. And to me, it just said so much that he was kind of, that's where his, where his head went. And I mean, when you look at what he did in Atlanta, I think it makes sense, right? Like he had top defenses much more regularly than he had top offenses. So um, I do think, you know, maybe there's some thought that, you know, Boonholzer is more of an offensive guy than a defensive guy, but I think the opposite is true. I think he is a defense guy first. So to me, it wasn't necessarily all that shocking or surprising to hear him kind of hammer in on the defense, but just that he was so strong in saying that, you know, if you look at the potential of this team, the potential is on the defensive side of the basketball. And I think, I think both of us would obviously agree with that. I mean, we talked about before this past season that, you know, if Jason Kidd can't get a top 10 defense out of this roster, you know, he just can't figure it out defensively. Like he just doesn't understand what should happen in the modern NBA with a defense. And the guys that Budenholzer kind of rattled off was, you know, it all starts with Giannis, then Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, two point guards that can really guard, uh, Chris Middleton, uh, then Tony Snell, Thon Maker, and John Henson. Uh, and so, like, you kind of see all those things. Um, and these are larger points that both uh, both you and I have talked about on the podcast, that this is a Bucks team and a Bucks roster that should absolutely be a top-10 defense. But what I thought was really interesting, and it, it kind of goes in line with the quote I had had the other week um, about Al Horford, and it was one of the days you were gone. I don't know if you got to hear that one, but it was a Kevin Arnovitz kind of anecdote uh, from a recent low post where he talked about how Al Horford uh, was talking about his, it was during his time in Atlanta, and he had said that Mike Boonholzer gave him the chance to make reads defensively, and Arnovitz was like, wait, what, dude? Like, you get to make a read defensively. Like, aren't you just reacting? Normally, you think about reads on the offensive end. And Horford said, no, like, Mike Budenholzer gives us the trust and uh, the the freedom to go out and make reads defensively. And just the way that he kept bringing up Giannis and how he could be an elite defender and, you know, how he would be the one that would kind of make them an elite defense, I just couldn't help but think of that anecdote again and and think about... 
we've seen Giannis really put together some some impressive defensive seasons the last two years. And I'm just curious now what that can look like when he's leveraged properly. And I think it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about because going into this press conference, going into the idea of a new coach, I think we often think about how do you leverage Giannis offensively, right? Like how is he going to be the driving force behind a successful offense? And I don't think we often think about – and that might this might not be a Giannis specific point this might be a players in general point like you don't often think how does uh, a defense work around a specific defender and I'm curious if he does have some thoughts for Giannis that you know Giannis can do a little bit more freelancing he can be on the perimeter he can be uh, under the rim like I'm curious to see what that means like how does Giannis get you to that elite defense how does he create that and um i think it's going to be fascinating to watch yeah it's it's interesting i mean Giannis is obviously different from paul Millsap and al horford but you know budenholzer had both those guys mm-hmm. uh, in atlanta both guys really kind of came into their own as as really defensive stalwarts while uh, playing for budenholzer i mean Millsap in particular right i mean i don't remember thinking of Millsap as being like an all defensive team type guy when he was in utah and he obviously really rose to to prominence, really found himself as, as an all-star caliber player, an all-defensive uh, team caliber player uh, under Budenholzer. So, again, I mean, adaptability, I think, you know, you podcasted about it yesterday. Um, we've talked a lot about it. You know, that's, I think, if you buy into Mike Budenholzer as, you know, the best available coach for the Bucks, I think a lot of that is pinned on the idea that, he is not just a guy who has had, you know, schemes or, or systems on both sides that have worked in the past, but they are that he is fundamentally an adaptable guy who isn't just going to try to, you know, rinse and repeat the exact same stuff that he did in, in Atlanta. And, you know, he, I think he tried to emphasize that today. I mentioned, you know, listening to players, trying to understand what they want to do and and how they can best be used and, and try to understand their talents as well. So, um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, and one other thing I find interesting, I mean. You know, it was kind of hinted at with um, with the fact that that Giannis and Chris were the the two guys that were you know that met with Budenholzer uh, for breakfast last week before he was officially offered the job. But it, it's sort of interesting. I mean, it, you know, like at the end of the regular season, I, I don't know if I would have predicted that we would be sitting here talking about Giannis and Middleton. Um, in such a close pairing as not that people are saying Chris Middleton is as good as Giannis or something like that, but, but sort of this like newfound presumption over the past week that like, you know, or not just last week, but over the last few weeks, I mean, really starting with Middleton's playoff performance, it seems like we've really kind of turned the corner back into Chris Middleton is like an essential part of this franchise. Um, and, and I think that's interesting because I mean, we've talked about given his age you know, he's obviously in a very good age range for Giannis. He's, he's older than Giannis, but at 26, he's not a ton older. Um, you know, his next contract, he's still going to be a very good player in his next contract. Not like he's like, doomed to, you know, be over the hill with his next contract. Um, but I think it's interesting how, you know, just the narrative around the Bucks with Chris having such a tremendous first-round playoff series. And again, I mean, it was a great performance, but it's also, you know, seven games a seven game sample which yeah. i think was especially important for chris given some of the concerns around him not playing well against good teams for you know the last year and, and not having good playoff series against toronto and chicago a few years ago um 
it was nice to see him really turn the corner and play at an exceptionally high level against the Celtics, who are not just a good team, but a great defensive team. Um, and it's interesting how that, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you also pick up on that? I mean, it seems like there's this sort of general groundswell of Chris Middleton is Giannis's, you know, second guy right now. And not to say that people view Chris as like a superstar all of a sudden, um, but it is interesting that it just seems like whether it's Budenholzer, whether it's, you know, just sort of the coverage around how Budenholzer was hired and, and Chris and Giannis both, you know, being part of those uh, initial conversations, it does seem like we are entering a, um, I don't know what the, what the term would be, but certainly a, a renewed confidence level in, in Chris Middleton. I think you're 100% right. I think we're at a spot where there was a number of questions, and I think any time that you, know, you or I would talk about how good of a season Chris Middleton is, is having or, you know, I'm trying to, oh, Ben Golliver, uh, who always is uh, kind of the, the resident Chris Middleton defender uh, in the national uh, NBA media circuit. Anytime those things kind of happened and you, you talked about Chris Middleton's place among shooting guards around the league or uh, wing players around the league, it would always be, yeah, but, and that but could be anything, right? Like that but could be, uh, he doesn't show up in big games, but he is, you know, never a number one or, you know, he's only a nice number three, like whatever it may be. There was always that but, and there was always, I think, ways to argue around it. And I think what's interesting is we've, we've seen what, a, a small sample size of a playoff series can do for the perception of a player. And we've been fooled by it many times. Uh, playoff Henson is a thing that exists and <laughs> is a thing that we talk about. Or at least past tense it existed. Yes. Yeah. Like it's something that we talked about and that's the reason why he has the contract that he does today. That still weighs down uh, this Bucks team. And it, it was a contract that was signed after he had a good playoff series against uh, Pau Gasol and Joakim Noah. And both of those players were injured at the time. And uh, he was able to, you know, find a way to be effective against those guys. And, it's. I guess it is just kind of funny to me because if anyone knows the perils of putting a ton of faith into a playoff series, it should be Bucks fans. And uh, the other flip side of it is, in my mind, it's like, thank God, like we finally reached a point where people can just accept that Chris Middleton is good. And we we don't have to have a huge argument about it every single time, but you know those concern those concerns were real in the first I don't know fifty games of the season, certainly before the All Star break. That you know his splits against bad teams, good teams, and great teams. Like when you split it up like that, there was always the concern against good teams that he wasn't showing up. And I just like the what he did in that playoff series. I don't know if that's um, all that sustainable because he shot 60% from the field. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. It, it, you're 100% right. Like His standing and his profile has totally changed, and it is largely because of uh, a strong playoff series. And I think that's that's something that it's always necessary to question and always necessary to wonder uh, just how real it is but at the same time, he was really good during the regular season too. So I, I don't know. It, it is something I'm struggling with right now. Yeah, and I don't know if there was a lot of other talk uh, about 
players other than really Giannis, and there was a lot of Giannis talk and a lot of, you know, Giannis admiration talk. Can and- I tell you how refreshing that is? Um, because for the last two years, anytime you would bring up Giannis, it would be two sentences of, yeah, Giannis is very good. And then, but you know, the, it's really about this team and, uh, you know, how, how well they've been able to play. And, you know, really when Giannis is going, it's because the ball is moving and all of his teammates are doing so well. And it's just like, no, it's not. It's Giannis. Like, can you just please talk about Giannis, someone on the coaching staff? So thank you, Mike Boonholzer. And I know this is an introductory press conference, so this might change going forward. But man, even for a day, it was just refreshing to ask a question about Giannis and actually have Giannis talked about. Yeah, and you get the feeling there is a sense of um, partnership, kind of, like, like Budenholzer views his relationship with Giannis as, as a partnership that, you know, they really are kind of um, tied at the hip, you know, and, and it's his job to kind of get the best out of Giannis and and to really, you know, not just not not this not just Giannis in terms of you know listening to players and all that, but um, but that that was interesting just to kind of hear how he he spoke about that. But again, I mean, this is all, you know, May basketball talking yeah. about the future months from now type thing and um there are kind of limitations on on exactly how much we can we can guess about that um i thought one other kind of interesting thing that that jumped out at me um was when you know and, and this was something we talked about um via text the other day you know this idea of figuring out well i mean i'm i'm sure they don't have like you know their detailed plans for all the players worked out yet but obviously sort of this idea of very individualized development plans was, you know, kind of central to the Hawks university thing in Atlanta. And, um, it was interesting. He commented that, you know, this morning, um, they were, you know, sitting with the medical staff, the performance staff front office and trying to work out, you know, okay, how do we, how do we come up with plans? How do we kind of look out for the summer for, for this, this roster and, and, and they, all these various guys. And, um, obviously that's very much work in progress, but, you know, encouraging to hear that, that those conversations with that kind of the full group and, and obviously the training staff is, is central, the performance staff is central to that as well, you know, in terms of having guys and develop not only their games, but their bodies over the summer. But, um, interesting that he didn't really hide the fact that I think, I mean, he said pretty much that he was here with, you know, basically his, his, his old coaching staff, which he hopes to bring with him, um, that those, I guess, I don't know if all of them were here, but at least some of them were in Milwaukee, are in Milwaukee now, um, and already part of some of those conversations. So I thought that was very forthright, uh, and I didn't necessarily expect to hear quite that direct of a uh, uh, an admission, I guess, that uh, that, that is, is happening. But certainly, you know, as the, I think David Aldridge is the first person to report it, that uh, he expected to bring over his previous staff from Atlanta and certainly uh, nothing we heard today would, would seem to uh, discourage that, that assumption. All right. We'll play that full quote here for you as well. Uh, and again, what Frank is referencing is what you're going to hear in the first couple of sentences. For, so be listening for that, but this is his larger answer when asked about player development and how important that is to him and his team going forward. Well, so that's what I was alluding to. And, you know, John, we didn't spend very much time prepping for this press conference. So I apologize for that, but, We've been in the in you know kind of a big conference room with Troy Flanagan and the medical group and some of John's uh, front office group and um, you know some of my group that you know we're hopeful will be here and 
and it's it's the probably the most important thing is you start looking at a calendar, you start mapping out, you know, how can we touch these guys? How can we start teaching? How can we start developing them? And and it's just not from the coaching standpoint, you know, it's it's how is our medical group, you know, how are they progressing with, you know, strength and conditioning and nutrition and all those things. And so is literally the first thing we did this morning, um, starting at 8.30. And um, I think it's, it's certainly something that is core to our beliefs is player development. You know, our players, I think hopefully they're going to feel like when they come to Milwaukee, they're going to be a better player when, if and when they leave. And it's going to help us retain our players. It's going to help us attract players as they know that they're going to be developed and cared for at a high level. Um, and it started this morning. And one thing... I thought, again, it was just kind of a fascinating answer as a whole, but in that spot, like you said, I was surprised that, you know, there's that sentence, we've been in a big conference room with Troy Flanagan and the medical group and some of John's front office group and some of my group that uh, we're hopeful will be here. And it was, yeah, it was just surprising that, again, that they would would be here. And I know we asked... uh, Boonholzer, when we had a smaller, again, kind of breakout group, uh, we had a chance to ask him, you know, what do, what do you think is the timeline and how do you think all this will work? And he said, you know, I'm going to give you the typical coach answer. I would say, I I hope it happens tomorrow and everything's ready to go and our coaching staff is ready. But I know that it'll take some time and you have to figure out exactly how all of it will work. So um, I thought that was interesting. And um, also he was – I. I had asked if he anticipates retaining any of the current assistant coaches. And he said that he's going to be more than happy to sit down with any of those assistant coaches and talk to them and kind of pick their brains and kind of see where it is at. And uh, I, I'm, I am very curious if you are bringing a full coaching staff along with you. Well, I don't know if there's a ton of spots left uh, for other guys. And I am curious kind of how the organization views this, because I would think for the most part, we saw how um, in a number of situations, how toxic that the Jason Kidd coaching staff was, that there, there was legitimate problems between players and coaches and uh there was you know some problems with motivation and and some of those things so i am curious if again you can have those conversations and pick their brains and then in the end you can say okay well we're not going to bring you back we we have our guys and those are the guys that we believe in so i think that's really interesting uh to watch but also in in that answer specifically, it was interesting to me because the the question I'd asked was about player development and how you try to get everything ready. You're a little bit behind. How do you try to get this uh, these individual plans ready for guys when you don't know when the, if they're going to be in town, how uh, you'll get in touch with them, and how you'll uh, make sure that all of this works out. And why that's interesting is because I think one of the assistant coaches that people think most about is Sean Sweeney. Because he's been Giannis's kind of personal player development guy, I think that might be the way to say it. And obviously, we've talked about his defense and him uh, being the defensive coordinator for the team. But that, I would say, that job has kind of lost some importance. And uh, the idea that Giannis's guy is the more important role. So I think it's interesting now to to think about the Hawks. 
love play the, that Hawks University. It was a huge idea, and the idea that Mike Boonholzer is great at player development. And when I asked that question, it really did feel like he was he was excited to answer it. And he talked about how uh, you know in that answer you just heard that that was the first thing they talked about when they started meeting today. Like that was the first thing figuring out player development. So. If you are a player development guru and you are, as a staff, very confident in your skills as player development people, I mean, I think it'd be pretty hard to say, you know, Giannis has a good relationship with this guy, so let's keep him around. Like, that's your best player. I I would think you want your best player development people with him. And if you still want to have the idea of Giannis having a personal coach that's going to go everywhere with him, I would think you want it to be your guy. Yeah, it would be pretty weird, I think, if they just kept, especially just given the way that the last, I mean, the last regime and everything kind of around it. um, You know, it's not like Sweeney was just like a development guy on the side who worked with Giannis. I mean, he was also obviously the guy who was, you know, behind the defense and, uh, you know, just, there's just a lot there. So uh, again, I guess it'll be interesting to see kind of what the ultimate sort of takeaway is, but, um, you know, stay tuned. Obviously, uh, it seems like the, the, the one likely assumption is that we'll see, you know, Darvin Ham and, and company, uh, coming over from, uh, from, from Atlanta. And, um, I guess we'll stay tuned there. Any, anything else that kind of, I don't know, jumped out of you either from the primary press conference coverage, I'm guessing, um, at least some of our audience has heard or, or some of the, uh, stuff you guys did offline? Um, I would say one thing I found interesting, uh, and obviously, th- like you said, this was a very Giannis-centric pre- press conference and a very Giannis-centric uh, discussion for the day. Uh, but the other one, there was just one other clip I wanted to play from Budenholzer. Um, he was asked by Gennaro Armas of the Associated Press, um, what was it actually like coaching against Giannis? What did that feel like? And uh, I just thought his reaction was perfect. It was miserable to coach against him, and I'm so happy to be, you know, I'm going to, like, say 34s on my team. That's, like, really cool. Um, no, I mean, he, he's he's a nightmare um, to coach against and, you know, to game plan and figure out, you know, can you keep him away from the basket? Can you keep him out of the paint? Um, you know, I think defensively, you know, the things he does is, you know, pretty unique and keeping him away from actions. And, and he's a winner. He's a competitor. Um so I think to coach him, you know, we've been talking about it all morning. I couldn't be more excited about coaching him. What I thought was so funny was that he says, you know, it was miserable to coach against him. And, you know, I'm so happy. And now I'm going to say during games, like 34 is on my team. And then it, the, he did the strangest thing. He started, he kind of popped in a little valley girl and he was like, 34 is on my team. That's like really cool. And I just kind of thought that summed up the day where, um, you know, he was asked questions about Giannis and you could tell that, you know, that's not that this is surprising. This is something that we talked about before all of this got started, but you know, that's, if it's not reason number one, it's certainly uh, very near the top of the list of reasons why you want to take this job in Milwaukee. Giannis Adetokounmpo getting to be uh, his coach as he hits his prime. I, I feel like any coach would kind of salivate at that opportunity. And it certainly seemed like Budenholzer uh, knew uh, just how excited he was and how lucky he felt getting to be the guy that got that opportunity. So that was the last Boonholzer uh, cut I wanted to have. And then, we didn't hear much from John Horst during the press conference, but uh, we did get, you know, kind of a little time in those breakaway groups to uh, discuss with him 
just some other general things uh, about the interview process and stuff like that. Um, one thing, and this isn't a very good clip, so I'll just, I'll just say it. Like I had asked, um, you know, sometimes in these processes or in these processes, you'll, you'll see, you'll, if you're interviewing someone's assistant or you're interviewing someone from a different organization, like you have to ask for permission and there'll be times where permission is not granted for one reason or another. Um, and I did ask John if they were turned down on anyone, if anyone, you know, kind of denied permission for them to interview. And he said, no. Um, so that would lead me to believe, you know, they got to, interview everyone that they wanted to. And, and Matt Velasquez asked about college coaches and how they felt. And uh, he'd said, you know, as they studied it, that wasn't something that they were totally, totally comfortable with. And part of it is all of the kind of hoops you have to jump through to get to a college coach to interview them. And um, so that was just one thing I wanted to kind of mention and, and kind of talk about uh, just the idea that it does appear to me that they were able to interview everyone that they wanted to interview. And I know uh, there was, uh, I mean, there's always questions about, Oh, were these assistants that were in playoff series, did they try to talk to them or anything like that? But it does appear that everyone they wanted to interview, they got to interview. Um, any thoughts there? Otherwise I'll keep going. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the other thing I asked was, and we had talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but, um, the one thing I've been interested in is obviously you hear how, uh, you go through, you know, the, the first interview where you have a lot of candidates in, and then you go through the second interview, uh, and the bucks just had Budenholzer and Messina go through that. So I was kind of curious and why I asked is because I feel like a lot of Bucks fans have been like, oh, this was, this process was so slow, or why did this take so long, or why did they go this fast, or, you know, people I think have different kind of conceptions of how long this will take and how long this should take. Uh, so I wanted to ask, you know, what is one of those first interviews like? You did a number of them. What is that? process like could you walk us through it and uh here was john horse answer i think it's different for everybody for me i want to i wanted to find someone who i could spend a lot of time with because we spent a lot of time together in this job and to, and to have great casual but productive conversations so we structured it we were very intentional about the way that we structured our interviews we structured it in a way that we got to learn a lot about the people uh the, the candidates personally um where we got to dive into the basketball their philosophies and their things that they are true to them dive into our team, things that they would do differently, things that they like, um, dive into the dynamic of front office and, and coaching, dive into the dynamic of ownership, all the things that exist in, in professional sports that, that matter. We built out a day where we could dive through all that stuff and as long as it took, we did it. And, and one of the things that was great about Bud is, one of the many things is that's a long process and a lot of conversation, but it never felt like that. I mean, it was just an enjoyable time the entire period of time. We were all tired at the end of it, but I think we all enjoyed it, him included. Why I find this interesting is just because, I mean, I, like I said, I think a lot of people thought this was kind of a slow process, but when you get to hear from John's perspective, you know, what he's after in those situations, I think it kind of made sense to me why there might only be one interview a day, right? Like we were, we were kind of, as this was getting reported, we were hearing, you know, just one interview and 
in in my head, you know, you're kind of thinking through, well, maybe you could do two a day, you know, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and you get these guys uh, through quickly and, you know, you, you hammer out the stuff you need to hammer out. But it did seem to me like a, a much a much larger process than maybe I was expecting. I knew it would be a longer process. I wasn't expecting like this is a 15 minute interview. You're in and out. Um, cause you do have a lot to talk about, but, uh, it was interesting to hear kind of the way that, you know, they structured it and the way that they were thinking about it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, we obviously were, were very curious just general who was in the room for various parts of the meeting. I don't think we got necessarily, you know, complete transparency into exactly the, all the details of the Bucks process. But, um, you know, he was, uh, Mike Budenholzer was asked directly who was in the room when he was in New York for the ownership meetings. And, um, it sounded like it was a short, short list, basically Jamie Dynan, Mark Lazary, Wes Edens, um, the, you know, three principal owners. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I mean, you know, I think certainly if you had taken us back a few weeks, uh, to the end of the Bucks season, you know, would how many you know would we have been satisfied hearing that Mike Budenholzer was going to be named the Bucks head coach? Uh, you know, on on officially, I guess what was it Friday, May 18th? So we we were both we both said it was going to take longer than it did. Yeah. Um, you know, would would that have been an acceptable sort of time frame and an outcome for people? I think you know most people are are probably pretty satisfied with it. I think certainly concerns that the Bucks would would you know botch it or have infighting or, you know, have some sort of drama similar to last year, obviously, um, that did not happen. And, um, you know, again, I, I think there's, there's always lots of uncertainty as far as how coaching moves are going to work out. And, and I don't think there are any guarantees, but certainly here, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm basing, I'm basing none of my feelings about Mike Budenholzer really on his intro press conference. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the Bucks obviously are, are now in a spot where they have a month before the NBA draft. I guess exactly a month. Um, it's May 21st today, June 21st, the NBA draft. Um, so, again, you don't need a head coach to obviously go through a draft process. But, um, you know, important that they, they figure that out. We talked about this being, you know, uh, arguably the biggest decision that, that John Horst makes. Uh, certainly probably... You know, uh, well, I, I guess that's a, an interesting debate, right? Like, is this the most important thing John Horst does uh, in the next couple of years, or you know, is it Chris Middleton or Jabari Parker? All those things are big deals, um, but certainly at least this first one has been knocked out. And um, again, I, I'd say you can feel, I think, reasonably good about it. And you know, how excited you are probably depends a fair bit on how much you know you believe coaches can determine their own destiny and how well we can really understand, you know, what coaches did well and uh, how good coaches really are from, from their previous experience. And again, though, I think at a minimum, um, Bud's a guy who, you know, is a low likelihood to fail. And uh, again, hopefully, hopefully the, the heights he reached in Atlanta at his best, hopefully those are things that, you know, he can, he can recreate again. I'm not saying the Bucks are going to win 60 games next season, but um, in terms of being able to really maximize a team the way I think he did at times in Atlanta, hopefully that's something that uh, he does in Milwaukee. And I think you know certainly we'd all love to get a better sense of what the real ceiling of this team is. I think we both agree the Bucks were not particularly close to it this year, um, and obviously it would be nice to to prove that uh, next year in in his first season as a head coach. One thing I'm curious about, and this is something I think we joked about last week, is do you think, I guess the responses I got to my tweets about, 
you know, kind of the, the quotes and the things that were said and the things that were happening were overwhelmingly positive. Um, I'm trying to think of the most negative tweet I received today, and it might have been something about a stupid selfie I took with Matt Velasquez. Like, that might be the most negative stuff uh, that we got. And I guess I, I'm just wondering, like, are we already in the territory that we're outside of Never Trust the Bucks? Are we already there, Frank? You, you can't you can't graduate from Never Trust the Bucks without playing games. So Okay. I, okay. I, I think, no, that's I think fair. I I think we got to see like at least uh well, I'll say this. I'll say this. I hope I hope you never hear me say never trust the bucks again. But um I, I feel like to truly retire never trust the bucks. I Playoff I mean, series? you got to win one. It, I feel like yeah, that that okay. was kind of a thing. At at the very least um we need like a I don't know, half a season of like really good play <laughs> to feel like, you know, like we we've kind of graduated from a lot of the nonsense that we've seen over the last few years. So, um, so yeah, I, I this doesn't mean I'm going to keep saying it, um, but to officially retire it, to put the banner up in the Locked On Bucks arena that says "Never Trust the Bucks" as it being retired and never never being used again. Um, I think we're going to need to see a lot more. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, I, I was just curious because, man, I don't, I can't remember the day that I've had such overwhelmingly positive uh, feedback to things Bucks related. So that was a uh, kind of an interesting change for me. I'll, I'll have to see if I can get used to that. Um, I think that's going to be it for us for today. I'm curious uh, what you guys thought was interesting about the press conference. Maybe there were some things that uh, we didn't highlight that you want to hear. So if there was, be sure to tweet at us. Uh, let us know uh, at Lockdown Bucks or at Eric underscore name or at F Madden NBA. Um, and we can kind of hit on some of that tomorrow. But uh, those were the things that stuck out to us. And I'll be curious to hear if those were the same things that stuck out to all of you. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.